Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to episode number 566 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell. Today... My guest is KJ Charles, which is always a great time. Recently, KJ tweeted about how absolutely devouring the Blessing series by Beverly Jenkins helped her save her sanity during the 2020 lockdown. So I asked if she'd be interested in talking to me about it. And to my surprise, this is actually a pretty popular topic. She recently did a panel about comfort reading that it was rebroadcast because it was so good. And I'm really excited to talk with her about what makes a comfort read comfy. And of course, get ready. We have a ton of recommendations and they will be in the show notes at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast. Hello and thank you to the Patreon community. I am deeply, deeply grateful for your direct support. It keeps me going and it is very inspiring to know that what we do has value and that you enjoy the show. So thank you so very much. I have a compliment this week to Maria L., A recent survey of local sparrows has revealed that the top three words they use to describe you are clever, kind, and exceptionally well-dressed. If you would like a compliment of your very own, or you'd like to support the show, have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. Every pledge keeps me going. Make sure that every episode has a transcript from Garlic Knitter. Howdy, Garlic Knitter! And I cannot tell you how much I appreciate all of your support. Thank you. This episode is brought to you in part by AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. I tried AG1 because I like having a nutritional drink, especially when I am short on time or doing a lot of traveling and I'm off my normal eating schedule. The all-in-one formula makes it easy for me to cover my nutritional bases every day. AG1 is powerful because it's so easy. I drink AG1 after a workout or a walk, and it feels good to know that I am making sure that I'm getting all the vitamins I need. AG1 is a daily habit with excellent benefits. You can make it with ice water, but I like to mix it with yogurt or toss it into a smoothie to boost nutrition in one step. Why take a bunch of different things when I can just mix one scoop of powder once a day? It's the healthiest thing I can do in under a minute. AG1 has been part of millions of mornings since 2010 and was designed with ease in mind. In fact, it's delivered every month, which makes it great because I never have to think about whether it's time to reorder. With AG1, taking good care of my body each day is really, really simple. 
If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash Sarah. That's drinkag, the number one, dot com slash Sarah. Check it out. All right. Are you ready to do this episode? This is so much fun. We talk about so many books, so many books. On with my conversation with KJ Charles. So I am basically now a full-time writer of um, novels, uh, mostly romance, mostly historical, some fantasy. Um, I used to work as an editor in British publishing, for including a stint at Mills and Boone. Um, so I did that for about 20 odd years and then I jumped tracks to become a full-time writer. Yay! And I live in London. Yay! Um, I live in London, um, husband, two kids, an ageing cat, and a garden that is indeed full of out-of-control everything. In fact, it's out-of-control time of year. Oh, yeah. So I wanted to ask you about comfort reading. To my great despair, I still encounter so many interesting ideas on Twitter because of the people that I follow, if the algorithm chooses to show them to me, of course. But mm, yes. one thing I mourn a lot about Twitter is just people randomly talking about what they're reading and how much they liked it. That was That's one of my favorite things about Twitter. And I'm so sad mm, that it's yeah. dying because that was... I know. That was wonderful. And you tweeted recently about the Blessing series and how you have these yes. incredibly visceral memories of the early lockdown that you just mainlined like 10 books in 2020. Yes. Yeah, no, it was, it was 2020. It was, it was over a fortnight in 2020. <laughs> yeah, 10 books. I mean, my Goodreads reviews, you literally go through them and it goes something along the lines of, how am I going to resist reading all these books at once? And then the next book is, I, you know, I am going to read all these books at once and you can't stop me. And then the next one is, I'm actually going to restrain myself. And then it's like, nope, I lied. No, nope. um, no, I powered through them. Um, and that is, so they had a lot of um, the things that I desperately needed in the lockdown. So for one thing, it was a 10 book series. I mean, I didn't know I was going to read all of them, but um, I read the first one. And basically the premise is um, there's this tiny, tiny town, right. which is actually a town that was, I think, founded by one of her characters in one of her historical romances. Um, and it's a majority black town. And it's basically this woman called Bernadine. She divorces her husband and gets life changing money out of it. He's cheated on her. He's an idiot. And uh, she's like, suddenly she's incredibly rich and she's sort of late 40s. And she, I forget what she does, she she buys the town or but you know, becomes a, a, a very important person in this town. Right. And then there's a whole, um, obviously there's all the people who come in and all the, each of us got a romance. But there's also a very strong theme where there's a whole bunch of adopted children. I think that's it. She adopts like four children and brings them to this town. And we're not worrying about how long it takes to adopt children or anything. You know, it it, it, it all happens. Um, and basically, so the entire series is tracking the lives of these people over, you know, 10, 12 years. So in effect, it's a soap opera. Um, yeah, we are watching the same people. We're seeing them come in and out. And obviously she handles those immensely well because she's Beverly Jenkins. And it's a soap opera in which we can basically feel convinced that nothing really bad is going to happen. 
it's okay. You know, there's always Bernadine with her money. There's a doctor who knows what he's doing. There's thing when things go ridiculously wrong, they tend to go, you know, they they can be fixed. There's um, a hilarious. Um, there's a plot line for about three or four books about a massive, a, a giant pig, basically, that just it's somebody's pet and it just rampages around. You know, there's there's immense amounts to enjoy. There's like the descendants of characters from that other books turn up. So if you've read like Neil July, Neil July's grandchild comes. Oh, oh my God, Neil July. He's one of my favourite characters ever. So you've got this immensely immersing world that just takes leisurely pace. You can get right into it. And it's kind and it's caring and but it's not, you know, um, you know, again, it's Beverly Jenkins. So it's not cloying. It's no. hard edged kindness, which is the the, the kind I like. Um, you know, you can see difficult things happen. The adoptive kids have their issues that they've got to deal with and they behave badly and, you know, people mess about. But fundamentally, you know, the arc of the world bends upwards in that yeah. world. Things are okay. You know that if you're in the pandemic, if you were in Henry Adams, everyone would have been wearing a mask and dropping off food at everyone else's houses. Yes. You know? Yes. And that was that was where I wanted to be. Yeah. Um, so it was it was a huge comfort. And and and, and of course it was um they they're just great stories. And they're such great stories that I would start reading one and then three hours later I would close the book and that was three hours of lockdown gone, you know, which was nice. Yes. Because (laughs) because I had enough hours of lockdown and losing some of them was terrific. Oh, oh, yes. And your lockdown was a lot more intense than what we went through here in the States. Like you were not allowed to go beyond five kilometers from your house. Is that right? And you can only go to the shop to get food and come back, get prescriptions, come back. That's it. Yeah, they had they had all kinds of rules, which it now turns out the, uh, the people actually in government weren't bothering to follow themselves. There was a thing where you were only supposed to go out for exercise once a day. And, you know, we've got a park at the back of our house and it was beautiful weather. And I wanted to just have the kids, you know, just stay away from other people and run around. But you couldn't. There would literally be policemen wandering around telling you to go home kind of thing. I mean, it was ridiculously overdone because, of course, now we know that actually fresh air and exercise would have been a far better option. And all you had to do was just not get too close to people. But anyway, yeah, lockdown was rough. And, yeah. you know, I live in London. I am, you know, our streets are on a route for three buses. So we were just getting these buses going past empty bus, empty bus, Oof. empty bus. And that was it. It was horrible. And hearses. And yeah, no, it, it, it was minging. It was absolutely minging. Um, it was minging for everyone. And yeah, it just, I'm not complaining more than anyone else. But boy, oh boy, did I enjoy having Henry Adams to go to where people were actually outside and interacting and, yep. um, you know, behaving decently and, you know, not having COVID. <laughs> yes. I remember in the early part of the pandemic, I was reading the Nalini Singh Sai Changeling series. Which was a which was a good choice because there were a lot of books, but it was not a good choice in terms of no, I should pace myself. There was no pacing. There was no pacing. Yeah, I was just I diving think, in. I think if you're ever allowed to binge, it's, uh, it's these that. moments. Yeah, yeah. And what drew me into staying in that world is something very similar because the side changeling world is about feeling empathy and caring about others and having emotions and learning how to have feelings because there's this whole group of people who are at the top of the food chain, except for the for the shifters, who don't feel because it's dangerous, because their powers could kill other people. So their solution was, we will just become um, feelingless 
empty beings. This does not work out, obviously. But just the idea of being in a world, (laughs) being in a world where characters are learning to advocate for having empathy for themselves and for others was exactly what I wanted to read. Plus, you know, shifters and large scale drama and soap opera and super hot attraction. This was this was exactly where I wanted to be for weeks and weeks. And this is why so many people were went absolutely insane for Murderbot during the pandemic. Yes. Have you read Murderbot? Yeah. I so, have read same, it ten times. <laughs> same. I read it I read it through twice during the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, and it's for exactly the same reason, which is you've got this um, you know, obviously Murderbot is you know, wanting to shut down from all the human emotions, resents having the human emotions, leans into the the emotions at the right time, develops people who care about its emotions, and it's just wonderfully balanced, and it, it worked perfectly. And the other thing that I think um, really worked about Murderbot, and which sort of I was thinking about in reference to other books I went for comfort reading on, is that there's this balance, I think, for really good comfort reads that you need to strike between people being confident slash competent Mm -hmm. and on the other hand people being shambles so yeah we want to read about murderbot who's like this totally socially inept um anxious you know morose um mess like we all felt but also that Murderbot can then, you know, jump over somebody's head and kick somebody else so hard their spine comes out. And, yes. you know, that's also a really good thing. Yes. And you want that that, that balance. Um, so we can enjoy, we can enjoy watching them, but we can also identify with them. Yes. And I mean, I completely agree. Feelings are really annoying. Yeah, no, I mean, exactly. That. And have you, there's a um, series, the other, one of the other series that I reread twice during the pandemic um, it's a fantasy series called Johannes Cabal by Jonathan L. Howard. I don't know if you've encountered them. No, tell me everything. No, well, okay, so it's basically the first one is called Johannes Cabal, the necromancer. And this guy is literally a necromancer. And he's trying to um, obviously find the cure for death. And he's absolutely, he's sarcastic, he's rude, he's really murderous. Like he casually kills people. He's very, very funny. Uh, in the first book, he sell, sells his soul to Satan and he runs this devil carnival where he's trying to get, steal a hundred other people's souls for the devil. So he's very much a bad person. Um, his brother's a vampire. His brother's a vampire because Cabal basically um, left him in a vampire's tomb to get murdered by a vampire. He's a really bad man. Um, but you completely sympathise with him. And again, he's got the the feelings problem. He doesn't want to have feelings. He just wants to be out there like defeating death in a scientific manner. Right. And he doesn't understand why people are such a nuisance. But then um, as, <laughs> excuse me, as the series develops, you know, he's got his brother and he's got um, a sort of, heroic um sort of female detective and he's got um his best friend is like this spider demon who is basically like a centaur but the bottom half is a spider and she's actually a succubus and it's just it's such a romp one of them is just taking the mickey out of lovecraft but all of it is um i mean it's wonderful inventive fantasy but there is this real and genuine emotional grounding whereby you're really actually hoping and praying for Cabal. You really want him to get his soul back. You want him to be a decent person. You want horse to fall, the vampire guy to fall in love. You want all of these, you know, it is actually an incredibly warm and tender book for one about a murderer who sells his soul. (laughs) So yeah, I love those. 
And that has that same sort of conflict that you were talking about earlier, where you have things being really, really bleak and difficult and hurting and unfortunate, where all at the same time in the same character, there's tremendous power and things that you cannot possibly conceive of doing so that you, Mm. you, you root for them, but you also empathize for them. Yeah, and you, you you know you 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 see where he's he's failing catastrophically, and at the same time he's also really good at doing stuff and like super cool and yeah, um, yeah I think that makes for a really delightful and satisfactory balance. Somehow. Yes, I also appreciate in the comfort reading that I was I was diving into the concept of fallibility and owning mm. owning and taking responsibility when you screw up. Like this happens in the Psy Changeling series. There are a lot of people who are like, no, what, realizing we were we were wrong about this whole protocol of no feelings. That was a terrible idea. And it's actually harming us now. What do we do? And in Murderbot, you have characters like Mensa, who is so smart and so clever and has to say, yeah, I really screwed up in book one. Sorry about that. Mm. My bad. And then, but also it's the fact that you can screw up and be forgiven, yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah, and th- th- there is actually there's redemption. There's not just um, you know there's not a bleak world. There's not just judgment. There is a world where we're all slightly flawed and you know slightly awkward and getting things wrong. But there's a fundamental kindness and decency underpinning it in enough people that you know you you you, you can find a way through. Yeah, it's hope basically. Yes, which I think is what you really need in your comfort read. Yes, I have a so list of books that I that I keep for when someone I know has lost a loved one and they're going through bereavement. And that is also a very specific flavor of comfort read. And it is always mm. foundation of hope and just the idea that things are going to be okay. They may not be right now, but they will be. And you can sort of see the glimpses of how that's going to happen as you read through the story. I, I look at my sort of list of comfort reads. I wrote a few down. And, you know, I would say about, 50% of them involve an incredibly high body count. And the other 50% are these really gentle stories, which is just about people sometimes being a little bit awkward with one another. Yes. And it's like, you know, it, it seems like quite a strange, like, you know, the Blessing series. I don't think anyone dies in the entire series to date or not that I can think of. Um, and then another one that I was reading, which I absolutely fell in love with. Um, did you ever read The Chalet School or similar school stories? School um, stories, absolutely. So. But I haven't read The Chalet series. Well, it, it, they, they are basically they're these sort of very 19, sort of 30s to 50s. And it's all it, it's all British girls school stories. Daisy pulls it off and plucky girls and the cross and all that kind of nonsense. <laughs> but this guy. Um, so this. This science fiction author called Chaz Brenchley has written two books at the Crater School, which is um, a completely um, girls, girls all together, proper girls school and having a pash on the, the, the head prefect on that. Only it's on Mars. Oh, as you do. Uh, <laughs> as you do. So there's, there's two so far and I absolutely loved them. It felt like everything you enjoyed about reading girls' school stories as a child, only it's on Mars and, you know, it's just brilliant imagination and it's just so satisfying. And and the thing about a school set story, like a boarding school, is that you have the forced proximity where you're going to live with these people, you kind of have to figure out how to get along. Yes, exactly. It's very much about this, about as all girls' school stories are, yeah, about people, 
you know, connecting and clicking into place or not, but finding a way. There's another author I love called Dee Stevenson, who um, was very big in sort of, especially in the 40s and 50s, 30s, 40s, 50s, who's been republished recently, who writes just these insanely comforting stories that are always set. Actually, she's done a couple in girls' schools, although with the heroine as a teacher, but otherwise they tend to be set in small villages and it's a small English village and, you know, it is full of awkward people and eccentrics, but you do have to get on and nothing terrible ever happens. Mm-hmm. And you read it with a sense that something terrible could happen, but it doesn't. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, and you know, they, they just feel like such a safe place. There's, um, she wrote one called Miss Bunkle's Book, where the sort of um, homely uh, heroine with her lousy clothes writes a book, uh, a Roman Clef, basically, about about her village, and it gets published. And, um, of course, it's basically an extremely sort of quite savage parody of all of her villagers. And then the book comes to the village, and they're all like, who wrote this book? Who wrote this book? And it's the kind of thing that, you know, could you could start a murder mystery with that, obviously. Oh. But, in fact, you know, her book just, you know, people see themselves in the way they're written and um, – things change and people behave in a certain way and um there's even finally there's um basically a lesbian love story that happens because she's written this book although it's completely subtextual well it's actually not that subtextual it's a tiny bit subtextual um but basically yeah this you know this couple actually go away and on holiday to be very happy together just because the book sort of validated their relationship kind of thing and it's um yeah it's it just so cozy and it makes you feel better about the world and it's safe yeah i've read a lot of d <laughs> during lockdown i have read a lot of early jill mansell books as well which do a similar thing they're all contemporary and i and my it's very strange. I used to be like nothing but contemporary, love it so much. And now I'm really having a hard time reading contemporary. Um, I think because I have so many s- difficult feelings about the humans who are my contemporaries right now. I think yeah, that might be well, my... the reason I write historical. Yeah, exactly. I think that's that's part of it. And the thing I liked about the early Mansell books and also what I like a little bit about the Blessing series as well is that it is a small town and a community that is contemporary, but also timeless. There's nothing that ties it to a very specific period, except in that there's no, there's no COVID. Like there's no COVID there as of right now. I mean, I don't know what Miss Bev has planned, but it's a, it's a, it's (laughs) it's happening now, but not like right, right now. There's a sort of a timeless quality. Like if you wandered outside of town, everything would be missed. There's nothing around it. It's just this town. And, and you're just shielded. You, you don't have to look at the newspapers and no. think, oh, my God, that arsehole, what's he done now? Yep. And you can apply that to whichever leader you <laughs> care to. But, um, Why can't yeah. I kick his spine out of his body? It's not fair. Yeah, it's not fair, it's is not it? It's not fair. I know you just did a panel about comfort reading. Um, yes. And I've spoken to Martha Wells. I've done interviews with Martha Wells. And my inner 13-year-old was not cool. There was a sizable portion <laughs> of my body going, is that a similar experience for you getting to talk to her about oh, it, comfort reading to her about her books? Uh, look, it was Martha Wells and T. Kingfisher. Oh, mercy. Is, yes. And Malka Older, who is just, uh, yeah, she's a terrific writer. She's written like three or four really, really good science fiction novels. And she's got one coming out um, soon, which has a very long title that my brain isn't up to. Um, but yeah, no, the three of them, being on a panel with the three of them was absolutely tremendous. It was one of the 
best in fact we've done it twice because the first time we did it for i think it was the library of congress so it's sort of private yeah so their staff it's not like a it wasn't going down in history or something um but it was a staffer thing and we enjoyed it so much we did it again and i was i was yeah i was just sat going for mouth miles and tea king for sure but um yeah um hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you that's right we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees promo rate for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com want to get a chiseled look in the jawline sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist visit juvederm.com That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. But it, it was really, really interesting because um, we realized that all four of us actually have slight, have a, a very similar approach to what makes a comforting read, which is this combination of um, kindness and violence. Yeah. Um, and in fact, Melka and I have a concept that we developed over a Twitter conversation, which again, I'm going to really miss Twitter for this kind of thing. So true. But, um, we have a, a we want to add the acronyms for romance as well as HEA and HFN. There should be HFY, which is happy and fuck you. Um, but it's like that. But you know, when you finish a romance, and not only are the bad guys, are the good guys, like happy and in love, but the bad guys have got their comeuppance. And that doesn't always happen, no. but that's really for me. That's one of my favourite things: the happy and fuck you ending. When it's you, know, they are happy, but they're happy because they are sad, and they ought to be sad. Then you <laughs> should feel bad. Yes, you should feel bad. Exactly, and it's that. Um, and and there there is an element of that um, that I that I really like that you can actually lean into. You know what? I'm I'm going to punish the hell out of you, and you deserve it. Fuck you. <laughs> oh, exactly exactly and it's uh so but that was that was a something that i think we all sort of inclined towards yes and that's one something that beverly jenkins does really well in all of her books especially in the historicals there will be dastardly dastardly yes. terrible people and sometimes they die because they were dumb she will kill characters off with their own ignorance and it is so satisfying. Like, I don't need the protagonists to deliver vengeance. This idiot d- did it to themselves. Like, they they died of their own ignorance. Oh, chef's kiss. I mean, there's a couple of 
times where she kills people. I mean, you know, I've, I've, I'm sort of vaguely known for having pretty high body counts for a romance. Yes, there are a lot of dead bodies. There's a lot. There are, there's, there are a lot of dead bodies, but, um, you know, I, I always feel it's slightly unfair because everyone was like, oh, look at KJ Chelsea's had a character eaten by eels. And I'm like, well, Beverly Jenkins had one eaten by a crocodile. Yeah. <laughs> well, what about the guy that she set on fire and then drowned simultaneously? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know. No, she's terrific. She's absolutely wonderful. The bit where um, it's rebel, isn't it? Where somebody, the bad guy, uh, gets eaten by a crocodile. I've never, I mean, you know, he's a white supremacist and he gets eaten by crocodiles. What is not to like? I think that is an outstanding solution to white supremacy. And I know that, you know, there are some populations of crocodiles and alligators that are endangered and could probably use a good meal. Well, I mean, this is an obvious solution, and isn't it? You know, win-win. Right? It's brilliant. Let's do it. I love this. I'm sure the crocodiles are all in favor. Yeah, this is the absolute HFY ending that, you know, the good end happily and the bad end unhappily, and that is what fiction is, as Oscar Wilde says. Yes. Deeply satisfying endings to unsavory characters. Yes. But you've you've got to have that, I think, for the comfort. You've got to have that sense that, you know... um, it's a sense of again the art bending towards justice, right? And the rebalancing of that of those scales. Even mm. in the first Murderbot book, the bad guys die because they put their rescue beacon too close to their habitat. Like they were dumb; they knew it should have been kilometers away, and it wasn't. And so they 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 were they were hoisted by their own space petard. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Exactly. It's so and satisfying. It, yeah, it's, it's, it's satisfying, isn't it? Yes. It's you're in a comforting world where bad things could happen, but they don't. And characters look after each other. And the foundation is always going to be based on kindness. But there's also a reality of violence. And then everything is restored and balanced at the end. It's just so good. And then when you've got several books of that, which I think is the other thing for me with Comfort Reads, you kind of want there to be an immense amount of it yes. um, to sort of delve into. So I really like Melissa Scott and Lisa Barnett's um, Astrian series. They're uh, fantasy, but there's a um, male-male relationship at the heart of it. So the two, inve- the investigator and the kind of swordsman um, in the, who invest a crime and investigate a crime in the first book become lovers um and then there are a couple throughout the next books. And it's this wonderfully developed world, really immersive matriarchy, really interestingly done. And, you know, you just you get these murders and you get a smidge of romance, not loads, but a smidge. And you get um, interesting crime and a sense of justice and a sense of things, you know, a, a sense of people <coughs> who want things to work out right and will work towards that. Yes. And that's the kind of Terry Pratchett thing with Vimes, the um, the character who might be flawed themselves, but who is absolutely going to work to making the world a better place. Yes. Which I, you know, which is immensely um, enjoyable. Yes. That's very inspiring. Have you read Martha Wells' Roxura series? I've read the first one. I've read the first one. I haven't uh, uh, caught up with the rest. Somebody on Amazon's review described it as matriarchal polyamorous flying lizard people. Basically, yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, that 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 fits. I mean, it's essentially <laughs> it's essentially a lost princess story, but 
it, there's a, they're, they're trying to not die and trying to preserve their community. And it, and it did a similar thing, although it's very violent, like extremely violent, but also casually poly in a way that I was like, Oh, that's nice. You're sleeping together now. I love it. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that it's, she's got such a gift for making those comforts in the most unexpected places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it is remarkable. But that's the T. Kingfisher as well. I don't know why her books can be so comforting when they've got such spectacular levels of violence and also not just violence, horror, yeah. like real genuine horror. And yet they're so comforting. Yep. I did not know that cozy horror was a thing, but it's a thing. No, well, it is a thing, isn't yeah. it? It's remarkable. Yeah. And, um, and it's uh, well. I mean, it's welcome to me because I'm a bit of a wimp with horror. Yeah, um, me too. You know, me too. I, I don't like the full on. I like a certain level. I tell you a book that I read um, right at the beginning of the pandemic. It's called The Plague Stones, and it is literally about this English village, which was afflicted by the Black Death and the stones around it and there's basically the spirit of evil from the black death is coming back to attack the village literally a book about the plague that i was reading at the beginning of the pandemic okay yeah i know and and um it's terrifying and awful and i don't know why but it was one of the most one of the more it was like it wasn't okay but it's fine it's covid but it's not the black death i don't know i found there was something enormously comforting about that book even though it's in no way a comforting book and everything is terrible and it's about the play yeah but it, it it grounded me I guess that was it I guess it I guess it just felt really great I know I'll tell you what it was it was that um it's all happened before and it will all happen again yes that is so true so that's true. what it was yeah we've I've been just, here I've before. only just realized that yeah people have lived through it and be- yeah. And will survive, and yeah. So I think I think that was actually um, perhaps why it was yeah you know, a book that I, I felt very glad to have read, even while I, it was mildly traumatizing. Yeah, I during the pandemic was reading, and I did an interview with Annalie Huber, who writes a historical mystery series that starts with the Anatomist's Wife. It's the Lady Darby series, and later on in the series, oh, yeah. it's during the cholera epidemic. And they don't know what's causing it. And everyone is staying inside because they can tell you get cholera when you leave the house. And of course, the people who have to leave the house are the people who are not, you know, titled and can stay in their homes. They can send someone else out. And I remember reading this going, oh, this is this is very, very real. Like this is very visceral. But it was, you know, several hundred years ago. And it, and like you said, it's very comforting to think, okay, well, eventually they figured out that cholera was coming from one well that was adjacent to, I think it was a cemetery. They traced, they figured it out and fixed it, it and stopped it. The, the John Snow, yeah, it was the Broad Street pump. It was contaminated because it was near a cesspit. It wasn't even yes. a, anything as big as a ceremony. It was just near the um, a cesspit yeah. that had broken and was leaking so it contaminated the water of that particular well yeah and okay here's a really fascinating thing sorry complete side thing but i absolutely love this so obviously john snow was basically the first epidemiologist because what he was trying to do was pinpoint and trace the outbreaks of cholera back to this particular pump and um one of the things that went against it was there was an outbreak in Hampstead, which is way away it's you know miles and miles from broad street which is right in the center of town Hampstead's up on the hill long way um and 
you know, he was like, how can there be this this outbreak of cholera? You know, this this family's got it. Surely my theory must be wrong. Goes up there, interviews them, discovers that the mother of the family used to live in Broad Street and believed that the water of that pump was particularly good and had sent her son down to get water from that particular pump. And he brought back a bottle of water that they all drank and they all got cholera. And that was basically, that was it. That was the thing that Jon Snow used and he nailed it to the wall. Isn't that amazing? He's the father of contact tracing. Well, basically, yeah. I mean, wow. you should see them. There's a wonderful book called The Ghost Map that goes into detail about he did it. But, you, you know, there is still a pub um, right next to where the Broad Street pub used to be. It's called the John Snow Pub um, after him. But an astonishing piece of work, basically. That's um, amazing. But yeah, so that, that, that was one of the things. But that bottle of water that went up to Hampstead. And, and, and otherwise, people who did less work would have gone, oh, well, there's an outbreak in Hampstead too, so my theory must be wrong. Yeah. And he, he went and found it. That's amazing. Yeah, and it's and it's hopeful, right? Like we will figure this out. We will have a vaccine. We will figure out how to control this eventually. Please, please let us figure out how to control this bastard virus. <laughs> I'm really yeah, not well, a fan. <laughs> no, indeed, it, it, it is particularly minging. Uh, yeah, <laughs> not 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 a fan at all. So, what are you working on right now? Oh well, um, I have. I'm actually having all kinds of interesting things going on at the moment because having self-published for about five years, I've got this flurry of publisher interest. Yay! So, um, yay! So I've just got Secret Lives of Country Gentlemen out with source books, and then there's a second one in the series coming out in September. Um, but also Orion, um, who are part of Hachette, mm-hmm. the UK publisher, Orion have taken my self-published book, The Gentle Art of Fortune Hunting, and uh, they wanted a second book. So I have written them a Duke book, Ooh! which I haven't done before. I haven't done a Duke before. And I kind of felt that I'm a historical romance novelist and not having done a Duke is starting to feel a bit weird. So then I tried to wow. do a Duke. And then it turned out there's a reason I haven't done it before. because It's actually proved to be quite challenging to go, what possible problems can this man have? I mean, um, it's kind of shocking that you haven't written a Duke because there are literally 8.9 billion Dukes in romance. Well, this this is the thing. So I'm very happy for people to roll around in Dukes as much as they like. But from my perspective, <laughs> I as it were, but from my perspective, you know, I think the interesting thing about a Duke is not that he's got a sideline as a spy or whatever. It's actually that we're talking about the person who's literally one step down from the king and there are literally about 25 of them and they are all immensely rich and immensely powerful and immensely burdened with responsibility. And actually this is a really terrible position to be in if you want to go off and, you know, be a spy or be a smuggler or be all of the other things that dukes are and also marry the governess. I mean, it's actually a terrible idea. You know, you, and and Dukes did. You know, um, uh, the Mrs. Gunning who took the sort of Regency world by storm, and one married two Dukes apparently. Although one of them only got promoted later, but even so, but you know, you could marry a commoner, but it wasn't. You know, it, it, there's a whole lot of like social pressures and things that you had to do, and and you know, you have got this immense amount of power. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I kind of felt the need to lean in on that a bit and actually uh, I, I, I sort of springboarded off one of my favorite Georgia Hare books um because I, I just started thinking what if you were a duke and you just didn't look like a duke like you actually were sort of 
short and didn't look like much and actually nobody ever noticed you in a room only unfortunately you're bearing the weight of all of this massive expectation and power and title and but personally you're just actually you're really nobody very much at all yeah and what does that do so yeah so I went with that that's very good it was good fun and then the other thing that's happening, which is exciting, is that um, I have actually, oh, I'm not sure I ought to be saying this yet. Okay, I'll tell you without specifics, but I have actually sold a historical mystery rather than a fantasy. Yes. Yay! So more more on that when it comes, but I'm really pleased about that because it's quite nice to sort of branch out a bit. Yes. And I love, I love, love, love all of the queer historical mysteries that are coming out. Like they're mm. all of the familiar hallmarks of, you know, Agatha Christie and the the very specific small community romances, but super queer, like extremely queer. I love that so much. I so this publishers are just actually really seem to be opening up to a great deal more um uh, variety than they used to. I mean, I, I think romance publishers are, if anything, quite a way behind um yes. science fiction and crime. Uh, but fan- science fiction and fantasy in particular, I mean, the the list is you know, so queer, di- diverse in so many interesting ways. Yes. And it's just, you know, it, it's a real massive improvement. And there's such exciting authors um, coming up. It's that, so true. Uh, I, it's a wonderful world to be in. And I think romance, romance sort of had a good stab, but we seem to be slight. There's a little bit of backsliding, it feels to me at the moment yeah. in the... Um, in the publishers yeah not in you know in, in self-published romance you know you've got this endless thing. actually now i'll tell you who i actually am very impressed by i've been looking at um i've been having a category romance binge and um harlequin mills and boone are doing far better than um i they used to and that i expected you know they did um there's an mm uh special edition harlequin special edition yes that came out yes yeah uh, Sarah Tino, there's best man's something. Um, great book, really enjoyed it. And they've got a, an FF Harlequin Desire coming out yes. with two Indian women I as leads. Saw uh, the cover. Sophia Singh Sasson. I know. Oh, oh my God. Um, and Sophia Singh Sasson, I've read a couple of hers and I think they're really good. But yeah, the in category romance. Yeah, like I say, I used to work at Mills and Boone. I've got to tell you, the idea that they are doing. Yeah, I, we barely had a character of colour the whole time that yeah. I was working there, and it's, I suppose it's twenty years ago, but it's only twenty years ago, and, and they just seem to be absolutely. And Therese Bahari writes for Harlequin Mills and Boone, and she is talking of comfort reads. I mean, she is one of my absolute favourites. Her books are so warm and so intelligent and so forgiving. Mm-hmm. Again, her books are absolutely brilliant for forgiveness. Yes, you know, people are really flawed and they've really screwed up and they just you know reach out to one another. So I love her stuff. And you know, again, Harlequin Mills and Boone have done uh, yeah, now she's writing single title, but Harlequin Mills and Boone, you know, they put her out there. I love that her books so, are set in South Africa. Yeah. So I've never yeah, been to South Africa, stuff. but I get to sort of mentally travel. There are some staggeringly beautiful locations. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, a very strong uh, sense of place. Yes. What I also really like for that is the romance class books, which are all set in the Philippines. You yes. Get a glorious sense of place. Really satisfying. 
Yes. And there's so much fun to follow all of the romance class authors on social media, especially Instagram, because then I'm seeing the things that they talk about that I'm not familiar with. Like, what does it look mm-hmm. like when you go out for this meal? I'm like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm Now I'm hungry, but yes, please more. <laughs> we very briefly had, we've got, um, it's, it's called an oriental food court, which it probably shouldn't be, but that's what it's called um, near where we live, um, which is basically, you know, it's a huge hall and you've got like about 20 different stalls mm-hmm. and with yeah, Korean food and Cantonese food and Vietnamese food and whatever, just loads of them. And this Filipino one opened and I was straight in there because I was just like, no, I know this. I've read romance class. I can yeah. do this. Yeah. Okay. And it, um, Enraging me, the next time we went, it had closed again. I was like, "Damn, I only got one meal." No, oh, that's I know. I only got one. I'm so hacked off. But I did choose it based on the fact that I had read about it, and I was like, "No, I know that name. I'm having that one, and it was delicious." That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So, where on the internet can people find you if you wish to be found? Um, Well, you can find me at Twitter. While Twitter Twitter still exists in a meaningful form, Um, just at KJ Charles. Um, I am on, I have a group on Facebook. I loathe Facebook, but the group is just so nice that I can't bear to try and move it. Um, and there's, <coughs> is that's a place where I do things like, um, you know, put out free stories and little snippets and epilogues and things like that. We have regular treats, we have competitions. Oh, one of the marvellous things, um, doing the gentle art of fortune hunting with Orion is the editor basically said, we want to put bonus material in. So I said, what do you have in mind? And she said, well, why don't you ask your chat group? So I have literally gone to the chat group and said, okay, tell me what you want in the way of bonus material. And the publisher is open for it. Like they would literally agree to put an extra chapter in if we felt that, or do an epilogue, haven't specified the characters. They've literally thrown it wide open and say, what do your fans want? That's brilliant. That's so great. Isn't that fantastic? That's amazing. Isn't that amazing? That is exactly, I mean, that's such basically good publishing. Yeah. They're literally listening to readers and it's so much fun. So I've been reading, there's this immense thread in there and I've been reading through it and like brewing ideas about what I'm going to write. And then the other place people can find me other than that is at kjcharleswriter.com and that's where I blog and I blog a lot about writing and editing and books I have read. So if people are interested in that side of things come and read and that brings us to the end of this week's episode i told you we had rex we had a lot of rex right i have links to all of the books and the youtube videos and everything else we mentioned in the show notes at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast as always i end each episode with a terrible joke and this week is no exception this joke comes from bull thank you bull how do you compete in non-violent boxing give up how do you compete in nonviolent boxing with pacifists? <laughs> I love a silly, clever joke. Thank you, Bull. On behalf of everyone here, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a great weekend. We'll see you back here next week. Smart Podcast Trashy Books is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find outstanding podcasts to subscribe to at frolic.media slash podcasts. How 
would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.